Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and thank you for joining me today. It is election day, and there's no better place to start than Genevieve Wood. She is uh, filling in today for Rob Bluey. She is one of the founding members of The Daily Signal, and she provides a a conservative opinion as well as news and and analysis of policy and public matters over for the Heritage Foundation. Always glad to have Genevieve on. Hello, Genevieve. Hello. It's great to be with you, and um, I don't know that I'll be quite as informative as Rob, but I'll do my best. No, I'm sure you will be. Rob has uh, gotten to be such a great friend of Faith Radio, and he's always so bright and informative, and, and I know you, you are cut from the same cloth, so thanks for uh, being here today. Um, let's look at some of, the, some of the races. I just find this whole thing to be pretty interesting. It's pretty, uh, pretty neck and neck. What are you looking at right now? Well, it is very neck and neck. I mean, there's so many different races, whether you're looking at the House, whether you're looking at the Senate, and whether you're looking at governorships. True. Uh, You know, and I think we're going to know a number of things, honestly, fairly early in terms of, you know, people, is there going to be a red wave? And if so, will it be a big one or how big, you know, or will it be a trickle? And there's some early races in Virginia on the House side, many right outside the Washington, D.C. area, uh, which Republicans really think they have a shot at winning. And it said that voter block that you've heard of, suburban moms, right, that mm-hmm. have been talked about so much since 2020, a lot of them live there. And a lot of them have been very upset about things like the education issue, what happened during COVID, the fact that many of their children have fallen behind in schools, what's been taught in schools. We've seen the school board uh, races around the country already and how those have been interesting over the past year. So if those do, at least one or two go Republican, it will be very interesting to see if you see that kind of ripple effect across the country in places where many of the voters who voted for Joe Biden in 2020 may made boomerang and flip on the Democrats this election year. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the, the Senate race in Pennsylvania? It wasn't that long ago, if you remember, Genevieve, uh, 2011, when there was a debate with uh, Governor Rick Perry, and he said, you know, when I when I get into office, I'm going to eliminate uh, three departments, uh, commerce, education, and what's the third one? He couldn't remember that one. <laughs> but, but that was pretty much the end of his— That's right. That, that, that kind of ended it. But, you know, Fetterman, he gets out there and has a million gaps like that, and he's, you know, could win. The fact that it's t- well, this is one of the things where you know you we can you know each state has their rules about how long does voting go on, how long is early voting, what are the rules around it, and Pennsylvania is one of those that has a lot of early voting, and they Democrats in particular really pushed it. And the negative I think that people can now see out of that is people were voting for somebody before number one, they really he'd never had a debate, he had not done that many press conferences. When he finally did a debate, it was very clear, and I'm. Look, I I hope he drops out and gets better. I think he ought to focus on his health. But the reality is Democrats had an opportunity to replace him when he had that health issue. There was still time to do that, and they chose not to. And then they try to kind of hide, I think, some of his abilities. And unfortunately for many people in Pennsylvania, hundreds of thousands had already cast their vote by the time that that debate happened. So I think it's going to be close. 
I think the odds currently, if you look at the last week or two, seem to very you know be trending in Dr. Oz's favor. But I think they would have trended more had you had earlier debates, and that's why debates are important. People, and it's also why I think you shouldn't have voting go on forever. People need to have all the information yeah. when they go in the voting booth, not partial information. Mm-hmm. Genevieve, I think if I had it my way, which I'll never get it my way, but it would be nice if there were three debates before anyone cast a vote. And I would really love it if all the funds that came in for a particular race all had to come from a resident of that state. Mm, you sound like a lot of folks I talk to are like, really? why is everybody in, you know, across the country calling me asking for money? <laughs> I mean, we've, well, you know, we've kind of we've almost nationalized our Senate races, yeah. House races to a certain extent. But, you know, the money pouring into Pennsylvania, a lot of it, you're right, it's not coming from Pennsylvania. Money pouring into Better O'Rourke's race down in Texas isn't necessarily coming from Texans. And I agree with you. I think it's something that, that we ought to look at. Just people ought to know, you know, it's your senator. It's not the people of California's right. senator. It's your senator. Right. And you ought to have more say about it. Yeah. Um, how much got spent in the Georgia race? Something like $250 million? Yeah, and we know that didn't all come from Georgia. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it look, we, we've made some improvements from 2020 when you had all those Zuck bucks and Zuck, you know, Zuckerberg who was sending in money to state parties and state election officials uh, trying to influence elections. That got changed this time around in many places. But you still do have a lot of outside money. And, you know, I'm not somebody who I'm very big on free speech, believe that people ought to be able to contribute to candidates, but there ought to be a better way to go about the people of the state getting to select their senator or their representatives and not having such outside influence. Mm-hmm. Genevieve Wood is my guest. She's a, a representative from the Heritage Foundation. Also, if you have a question for her, not to scare her, but you can send the question <laughs> over via text, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Are there any particular races, Genevieve, that you have a, a little bit more interest in than others? I look at the governor race in New York, and I think, that's pretty interesting. That's really interesting. Uh, and again, I don't know how early we're going to know, but I think we'll know fairly soon if it's going to be as close as we think. And if it gets close, it's like they say in you know football, if you let them hang around, sometimes they end up beating you. <laughs> and I, I have a feeling that you know Lee Zeldin has hung around, and he's really surged in the last few weeks. And it's, it's going to be a matter, I think, of turnout. At the end of the day, it's going to be turnout. So that's going to be a really interesting one to, to watch. I mentioned a couple of races in Virginia, um, you know, you, Pennsylvania. Then you're going to have to start kind of moving towards the, the, the West Coast a bit as well, where you're going to be looking towards what's happening in Arizona, what's happening in Nevada. But one more interesting on the West, East Coast, New Hampshire. Yeah. And that's kind of been a state that a lot of people, you know, they pay attention to every four years when, they, when, they, when their tallies come in first. But, you know, this is a kind of a was a sleeper Senate race that, frankly, I think the National Republican Party didn't have a lot of faith in, didn't really think their candidate was going to be able to do it. And then he started trending well. And so money started pouring in and you saw that race greatly tighten. Same thing in Arizona with Blake Masters. So there are a number where it just you are, we're going to be up late. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Who's the, the candidate in New Hampshire? He's a former military man, isn't he? Bulldog? Bulldog. That's right. I hope I'm saying it correct. Yes, yeah. he's a former uh, former military, uh, not a, you know, I don't think he's ever run for office before. He's not a politician, uh, but he wants to serve his community. Yeah. And he's solid and, you know, he's not a professional politician in terms of giving great debates, and spe- but he did well in his debates. So it just shows you, you don't have to be, uh, you know, somebody who's done this your whole life to be able to come in and just clearly articulate what you stand for 
how you would be different than what the person that's currently there and to articulate what I think many people in New Hampshire, but around the country are feeling. And I think that's why you see some people kind of coming up. You're like, I've never heard of them before. Mm -hmm. I mean, people have heard of Herschel Walker because he was a famous football player. But in many of these cases, these are not people who've held elective office before. Blake Masters, he's new. J.D. Vance, he's new. Uh, Dr. Oz, he's famous in other ways, but he's not, you know, he's not a politician. Kind of goes to the mold of Donald Trump. People seem to be looking for people in many respects who know what they believe, but are outsiders. They're mm-hmm. not. They're not tied to the political establishment. Mm-hmm. And the Senate race in Georgia is interesting between uh, uh, Warnock and Herschel Walker. Uh, any guesses to how that one's going to come up? Well, again, close. I, I feel like I keep. I'm going to say that on all of these, but yeah. the the some of the numbers that I saw this morning suggested it's possible that Walker may be able to win by enough. He doesn't have to have a runoff because that's a race where you've got to get over 50 right. to, to win it. And uh, it's, but it's looking like he may surge enough at the end that he's going to, to win that. And, you know, that's just, again, another example where Georgia, Georgia, Georgia was all people talked about in 2020 and Stacey Abrams and how she was going to be, you know, basically the next democratic star and probably would be a presidential candidate very soon. And it hasn't turned out that way for them. Uh, Georgia has, was one of the states who has really done a lot over the last couple of years dealing with election integrity and shoring up their system. You've had more turnout than you had in, in terms of percentages than you did the last election cycle. So people who said, oh, those new laws are going to depress the vote. There's absolutely no evidence of that. And that's true among African-Americans, not just uh, white voters. So it looks like people are more interested and it looks like Governor Kemp is going to win by more than he did against Stacey Abrams uh, back in, in the last election cycle. And I think Herschel Walker is going to benefit from some of that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, comment came in, Genevieve. The White House seems to be putting out a lot of warnings that the results will take a while. Uh, yeah. And I don't understand why the White House would put out that info. And it makes it makes this uh, uh, listener question the truth about results. Look, there are going to be some questions out there tonight, just like there are every election. The Mm -hmm. question is, is the issue is how big are they and do they actually change the election? I think that Republicans got very smart after 2020. Unfortunately, they weren't as smart then as they should have been in terms of realizing how important it is to have poll watchers, to have poll watchers that know what they're doing, not just people standing outside, but people who know what they're looking for and have eyes and ears on the ground. It makes a huge difference when it's hard for people to get away with something, right? When, you, when you've got somebody looking. And I think there, if you look back at the special election last year in Virginia where Governor Youngkin won, so much of that issue was that there were poll watchers in every district across, across Virginia in a way they had not been before. And it changed that election. It made it much more secure. Now, I think it's going to be tough for the left to get away with some of the things they got away with in 2020. But they're going to challenge things. I mean, you see Fetterman challenging already. He wants the ballots that came in uh, that weren't signed correctly. He thinks they should still be counted. He's challenging that in court. So, you know, the, what we'll have to see is, are there enough of those ballots that would have made a difference? Sure. And plus, the, the, it was the Pennsylvania Supreme Court who said, we're not going to count ballots this time that don't have signatures on them, which is what should have been the case in 2020 as well. Mm-hmm. So, look, the White House is preparing, I think, for a bad night. They're preparing for a bad night, a bad week, maybe a bad next two years. Mm-hmm. And so they want to start kind of laying the groundwork right now. Awesome. Genevieve Wood is my guest. We'll take a break. When we come back, 
I've got a couple more questions for her, but you may have one yourself, and you can text it over, 877-933-2484. Let's do this question asking together. Again, 877-933-2484. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to the show, and happy Tuesday as it is Election Day. And I've got Genevieve Wood as my guest. She's a spokesman at the Heritage Foundation. Always glad to have her on. She is stepping in today for Rob Louie, and we always love Rob, and we'll miss him today, but not that much because Genevieve's here. So, Genevieve, uh, the Heritage Foundation released a 19-page report called The Blue City Murder Problem that included analysis on crime data and explored who is responsible for the rising crime throughout the U.S. What, what did we learn? Well, what we learned is when you look at the rising crime across the country, in 27 of the top 30 cities where you have crime, you have Democratic mayors. Now, I don't think that's just a coincidence. I think uh, it's not because they're mayors. It's because or they're Democrats necessarily. It's because they're following Democratic policies, which in so many cities, whether it's Chicago, whether it's Philadelphia, you go down the list, uh, they have been, you know, they, they say they aren't anymore, but they've been leading the defund the police charge. And so not only have they not often funded the police the correct way, you've had law enforcement in many cases, people retiring early, mm-hmm. uh, people feeling you know, discouraged and moving to other areas. And so the policies and, and it's not just the defunding the police. It's also, you know, letting people out of uh, jail on like no bond, uh, giving people, you know, you go to California places. You've got to, you know, steal over $900 for it to be even considered a real crime. So just in, in place after place where you see these kind of policies, not surprisingly, you see crime go up. And in many of these areas, one of the big problems are the defense attorneys. And if you look at the, one of the things that we found in the report is that in looking at some of those defense attorneys and, and the prosecutors, many of them, I think in 14 of the 30 cities that had the highest murder rates, these are prosecutors that George Soros, who I'm sure your listeners know is a huge, uh, very left, socialist-driven uh, billionaire who's given tons of money uh, to try to sway elections. These are all prosecutors that he put a lot of money into their races to win. Mm-hmm. So, again, to your point about kind of follow the money, who's giving money to these things, I would just encourage people to read the por- report and share it with, with friends. because It's very, very eye-opening. Who, I mean, who wants to live in a city where they don't feel safe to go downtown or, or go to dinner or go to a play or just be out after 9 o'clock when it gets dark, when you're afraid to just to be out? No, that's right. Well, and look, I mean, look at all the, you know, and I know we can't, the polls are not 100% accurate all the time, but when you ask people, what are you concerned about right now? Obviously, inflation and the economy seems to be at the top of everybody's mind. But crime is also a big one. And I love how you have the, the many Democrats in the left now trying to say, well, people are just making a big deal of that. It's not as bad as you think. You know, when you I know people who live in New York, they're scared to get on the subway. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that and, and I've lived in New York. It didn't used to be that way. It was, and it got better, and it seems to be trending backwards again. I live in Washington, D.C. I can tell you that the crime is up from where it was two years ago. You can just sense it. And part of it is just, you know, sometimes it's just vandalism. But that's the kind of thing where people stop feeling safe. And you see that showing up in the polls. And unfortunately for, for the left, I just don't think they have a good answer because they their policies don't go that way. They don't believe in law and order. They haven't supported our law enforcement. They've tried to backtrack that a little bit, I think, during this election cycle. But their actions are speaking much louder than their recent words. Mm. And I think carjacking is up 380% in Minneapolis, where I live. And I've, I know people who have had their car jacked, and they s- said it's a horrific experience. And one got injured uh, as a result of it, and it ended up in the hospital. I mean, it's, it's pretty scary. You hear one of these it's stories, terrifying. and you think, I don't want this to yeah. be my story. Well, and, and the reality is it's kind of like when the, you know, people say, or you hear also President Biden will say, well, you know, inflation is uh, folk, it's not as bad as you think. Well, you know, I, let the people be the judge of that. They know what it costs when they go places. They know what it costs to fill up their car. They know when their communities don't feel safe. Mm-hmm. They know when they see uh, more people on the streets, whether it's, you know, a homeless and whether there's mental issues. They know when they see more graffiti. Uh, they, they know when their neighbor tells them about a break-in or they see the crime rates in their own city's break-ins going up. It doesn't have to be murder for, to make people feel scared. And the reality is, in many cities, it is the murder rates that have gone up. It's not just break-ins and things that are, you know, bad enough on their own. In many cases, it's the murder rate. Mm-hmm. So let's do a little update on big tech. I find big tech interesting. I, I don't I don't spend a lot of time on social platforms, but I do find <laughs> the, the politics of it kind of interesting. Yeah, what did, I mean, when it comes to big tech, I think the big one of the biggest changes, obviously, right now is what's happening with uh, with Elon Musk and the fact that, you know, we're going to see what he does with Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit to to be determined, if you will. But already, I think you're seeing some positive choices, which is why you see people on the left freaking out about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw today that, or I guess it was yesterday that Whoopi Goldberg has said she's leaving Twitter. She's leaving the platform. And you've had others uh, on the left suggesting such things. Mm -hmm. You know what's interesting? It's not because they're being censored. It's because, you know, you're not being censored or I'm not being censored or Ben Shapiro isn't being censored. He wrote an article for us on this topic. They don't want to hear both sides. I get, that must be it, because it's not as though Elon Musk has said, oh, well, we're going to take down Whoopi's account or take her blue check mark away. It's their, I don't know why they're mad. I would love to understand what the problem is. Uh, they claim, that I guess, that it's a lot of misinformation out there. No, it's just letting people, if we're going to have a free uh, freedom of speech, you have to let people have freedom of speech. You don't get to pick one side over the other. So I think you're going to see, and I think that's going to challenge what you see on Facebook, what you see on Instagram, all these other platforms. They're often there, the debate that you're seeing on related to Twitter, I think will influence those platforms as well. When I think of the people like Elon Musk, who, you know, he, he makes electric cars, you think he would be the darling of, of the world that is wanting a electric car future, and yet they still pick on him. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like they all bought his cars and now they're mad about it. So, well, you know, they all used to be friends with Donald Trump until he ran for president of the Republic. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, you know, and, and, and Oprah, you know, uh, Dr. Oz became famous because of Oprah Winfrey. He was a guest on her show that's true. many, many a time, and it was out of that that he got his own show. 
but now she's endorsed, you know, Fetterman. So they're all happy until they run on, on policies that they don't like. And look, that's fine. They're, you know, politically they have, they have different views, but some of it does seem to be a bit hypocritical. Mm-hmm. Do you think the woke agenda that's going on in education is going to uh, cost uh, the Democrats this election cycle? I, I think that's going to be a, a huge play. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason, as I said at the top, I think many parents, I know some myself, uh, many who just I, I don't want to say they they didn't know what was going on in the schools, but they didn't know everything that was going on in the schools. Uh, they learned a lot during the covid period. And then after covid, it came back and they realized this wasn't just kind of a one and done. This stuff is really out there. And the left has continued to push the agenda, whether it's the transgender transgender issues, the critical race theory, all those different pieces. And I, I just think many parents who, um, like I said, the suburban moms, it's upset them. And they've many folks have taken education back into their own hands, which I think is frankly a good thing. Homeschooling is up. Uh, the opportunity to go to private schools for many people is up. And I will tell you, I think that is an issue. It may be the issue of the next, I don't know, at least one, two, three uh, election cycles. I think you're going to see a real reform, and I certainly hope so, in our education system. But this will be a state-by-state issue. Education is really a state issue. It's not a federal issue. I'd love to shut down the Department of Education. Definitely think we ought to do that. But most of the dollars and most of the problems you see in education, it's happening at the state level. And so we need to infuse choice. We need to give parents more options. Uh, we need the money to follow the children, not follow the teachers in the schools. And I think it will, we, we could have a real renaissance uh, in American education. Mm-hmm. Well, I know historically, uh, midterm elections from 1934 to 2018, the president's party averaged a loss of 28 House seats and four Senate seats. So yeah. it is going to be very interesting to see uh, what happens over the next couple of weeks, because we probably are going to know something tonight, but not a whole lot. <laughs> we, well, we may know a lot, but we just may not know things like the balance of the Senate, for example. I think we're going to know a lot of House races, but I think there are going to be some Senate races that may and they may give us a few days to, to know. Mm-hmm. I heard Gretchen Whitmer say that she was referring uh, not to women, but to people who have periods. Oh, she's a winner right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to, uh, Tudor Dixon, I don't know how, how many of your, well, you guys are fairly close by being in, in Minnesota. You probably have been following that close, maybe racer than some others nationally. But I think Tudor Dixon has been a great candidate. And again, it's going to be one of those where if you have the wave election, those folks get elected. So not everybody will, but I think I do think there will be some surprises of some new names on the scene uh, after this election. Night yeah. Over. And what's what's your pet race? What What is the one you're going to watch the, the the closest? Oh, gosh, there's just too many to say. OK, all right. One. Now, well, you know, maybe because it's close to home, like I, I mentioned, these kind of three congressional races in the Virginia uh, suburbs here. I just think those are really interesting because I think they're kind of microcosms of other parts of the country. And they've got an interesting group of folks here who, like I said, and just to be honest, they put Joe Biden in office. Mm-hmm. And now they may be the very people that throw his party out of power. So it's just going to be an interesting night in that sense. Yeah. Well, thank you for on such a busy day taking time to be with us. I appreciate you, Genevieve, very much. To. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Enjoy election night. Thank you so much. Genevieve Wood has been my guest. She is a um, uh, senior spokesman at the Heritage Foundation and one of the founding members of the Daily Signal. You can go to dailysignal.com, where Rob Louie is the executive editor. He's my regular guest, and Genevieve was nice enough to fill in for him today. We'll take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Alex McFarland will join.
afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started. Jump in your car, what's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Welcome to the show. If you just joined me, uh, I hope you're having a great day. It is uh, election day, and it's uh, awfully nice to have Genevieve Wood on the program. If you missed any of her, she was very interesting. And now I've got my friend, Dr. Alex McFarlane, joining me. He's a Christian apologist, author, evangelist, and he's a religion and culture, culture analyst and expert. Uh, Alex, welcome. Well, thank you. And to that resume, uh, you may add that I'm a really big fan of the Bill Arnold Oh, show. you're so nice. You're so nice. Where Where are you today? Well, uh, thank you. And um, if... If the signal is less than ideal, I apologize. I'm actually in Texas, um, a little bit outside of Austin, Texas, in a suburb called Yoakum, Texas, and uh, had the privilege of speaking in a couple of churches. Tomorrow I speak in a high school, and uh, tonight I'm going to be sharing at a church. Awesome. Here, Yeah, and so uh, I'm not in front of my Comrex, which is, you know, my— my gear that gives us digital quality, some on a cell phone. So thanks for having me in, in spite of the fact that I'm only on a cell phone, Bill. Yeah, well, you sound terrific. And I'm always glad to have you on. Even if you're on a CB radio, I'll take you. So um, last well, s- several months, we've been discussing theologians from the past, ones that have passed on into eternity. And that was such a fun, fun time discussing their wisdom. And I think we've covered most everyone I wanted to cover. So with your permission, I'd like to move on. Well, let's do it. Let's move on. First, may I say one thing? I want to give a big shout out. You and I were doing an interview together like a week ago. And listen, I thought I knew all things Bill Arnold. (laughs) Yeah. But I did not know you, a man of many talents, have actually had a a pretty uh, rich career performing, broadcasting, doing illusions, right? Doing magic. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you've, you've really, you're, you're a renaissance man. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm going to learn how to play the harp next. Okay. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I want to I ask you some questions, if you're open, uh, because these are questions that come up from time to time. And I, I don't know if we, if we have good answers, but I bet you've got a good answer. Uh, why do you think... Uh, Christians think that their beliefs are correct and everyone else's are wrong? Wow, that is a good question. And, you you know, Bill, we get that a lot, especially like when I do Q&A, like at universities, um, because there's kind of this assumption. You know, when Christians come along, we say, well, um, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And, you know, the Bible is the only Word of God. I think sometimes, Bill, the the assumption behind that is that a Christian is saying, you know, I think Christianity is true because I think it's true. And it's not like that at all. Um, Christianity is true. I I think about, like, G.K. Chesterton uh, 100 years ago. He was very influential in the life of C.S. Lewis. And he said, Christianity is the only worldview with any good news because we're, we're really the only worldview with any news. In other words, we have some unique lines of evidence that underscore and corroborate our truth claims. 
the the biggest of which is the empty tomb. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, you know, the stage of history has been crossed by thousands of people who said thousands of things, but only Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, and and that sets him in a category of of one. Now, I mean, we can talk about the Bible fulfill prophecy, the amazing indestructibility of the Bible, the Bible's power to change lives. The Bible was accurate about matters of science and and technology centuries ahead of the writer's ability to have known things like mountains and valleys at the bottom of the sea and the spherical shape of the earth. But, you know, the the biggest evidence of all is what C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle, that God came into the world, did the miracles, validated himself, then rose from the dead. Only Jesus beat death. Mm-hmm. And that's why we think what he said about eternity is the true message. Mm-hmm. My question uh, to Dr. Alex McFarlane, if you just joined, joined us, is why, why do Christians think their beliefs are correct and everyone else's are incorrect? And Alex, do you think that some people get turned off because they think Christians have a little bit of a self-righteous attitude? Look at I know, I know the truth, so um, yeah, and you're a sinner. It, it, Did I mention that? It could be, yeah, and and that's why I mean I think we have to be very humble because you know yes, if if you put your faith in Christ, your sins are washed away, and in fact Romans four says that we are. In, in the eyes of God, we are righteous. We're declared righteous by virtue of Jesus. But we can never be arrogant or cocky because, listen, apart from Christ, you know, John fifteen five, Jesus said, apart from me. So if, if it weren't for Jesus, we would be lost and helpless and hopeless. So while, while we can have assurance in where we stand with God, that's never um, permission to be arrogant or cocky or abrasive, is it? No, not at all. Now, Alex, when you hear the expression Christian worldview or biblical worldview, which one would you be more likely to want to use? Um, I, I tend to use the term biblical worldview because it's like we're seeing life through the lens of, of God's Word, Scripture, the Bible. Um I want to say this, Bill, I I am not ashamed of the word Christian. You know, it's like Paul in Romans 1, 16, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation. But I think that in our culture, regrettably, the word Christian has accrued some baggage in the minds of some people. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in the book of Acts, really, the word Christian was kind of a a slam. You know, it means little Christ. And it says the the disciples were called Christians in a town called Antioch. And it was kind of like an insult, you know, oh like you're you're a little Jesus. So when we say Christian worldview, a lot of people, you know, freak out and they think, oh, you know, what are you trying to tell me? Is this a political thing or something like that? But I tend to say biblical worldview because people seem to be a little more open to hearing what that might actually mean. Mm-hmm. Dr. Alex McFarlane is my guest. And Alex, on the morning show, my colleague Carmen uh, put out an invitation to listeners to text in one word 
that gave name to their current burden. And boy, we got a list this morning. And so the question I have for you, given this list that came in, uh, is how are we to understand affliction? Wow, what a great question. Because that's a question I was just asked on a previous show an hour ago. Oh, wow. You, you, should, know, uh, you, you should see the list of afflictions that got sent in this morning. And I thought, oh my, people have got a lot on their plate. And I, I wonder how we best understand this. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, afflictions can mean a lot of different things. You know, the New Testament talks about being persecuted and afflicted. Um, and, and let me just say this. I, I really believe in the life of every Christian— come divinely orchestrated opportunities that are very often disguised as problems. Mm -hmm. You know, um, let me just say this, and and I know this might sound like Christianese or something spiritual, but it really is true. Charles Spurgeon, who was just unbelievably a a century and a half ago, Spurgeon was kind of the, the Billy Graham of the 19th century, you know, almost worldwide famous even in his own day. But Spurgeon says, God loves us too much to hurt us, and he's too wise to make a mistake. And when you can't trace his hand, you can trust his heart. In other words, the hand of God, you say, look, I don't know what God is doing. Why is this happening? And Spurgeon said, look, if we, even if we don't understand what's going on, we can trust who God is and his heart, and God is not going to let something harm us or take us by surprise. So the afflictions to your question, Bill, whether it be a physical ailment or a financial problem or even relationship struggles, marital struggles, and then, you know, frankly, my worst afflictions have been just some of my own poor decisions. Mm -hmm. But we keep our eyes on Christ and we remember that people are watching people, you know, it's an opportunity for growth. It's an opportunity for witness and, and the, the burdens of this life, if we'll allow, they can purge us of self-reliance, pride, carnality, and they can push us closer to the Lord. Mm-hmm. When, when you are outside of the family of God, you really seem to have one enemy, and that's God. But then you come to faith, and you are in God's family. And then I, I've heard a pastor explain this, that you then have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I'm wondering, really. can Satan, can, Alex, can Satan put thoughts in our minds? Yeah, I, I think Satan can. Um, I, I'm not sure he can interject thoughts into our mind. And I I definitely reject the idea that Satan can read our mind, Bill. I I do not believe the devil can read our thoughts, and I'm not sure he can actually put things into our mind, although he's called the accuser. Uh, That's one of the names of Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. But I do believe the devil and the demons are very astute observers. And they see our behaviors. They probably can discern things where we, we're weak, and Satan will tempt us. And I think that 
you know, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about laying aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. In other mm-hmm. words, the, the thing that we are prone to stumble over. And so that's why we really do need to feed on the Word of God every day, um, be led by the Holy Spirit. Um, but remember, we are victorious over the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Bible says we're more than overcomers, but those, those are three very real um, enemies mm-hmm. of the Christian, the world, our own carnality, and Satan himself. Mm-hmm. And do you think sometimes, Alex, we give uh, the enemy credit when we blow up our own lives, we make bad choices, and then we somehow manage to blame it on the enemy? Yeah. You know, many years ago, I'm going to show my age here, but back in the 70s, there was a comedian named Flip Wilson, and he was very famous. He had this tagline, the devil made me do it. I remember that, yeah. That was his shtick. And uh, sometimes I think we just have to own up to our own willful disobedience. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah, Satan maybe did make people do things or at least tempt them to. But a lot of times it's just our own. You know, Paul says in Romans 7, you know, are we going to feed the flesh or are we going to feed the spirit? And the, the nature within you that you feed and nurture will be more dominant. That's why we're to cleave to Christ. And the Bill, you don't hear this preached so much anymore. The Bible says, mortify the flesh. Yes. In other words, put it to death yeah. and live in the Spirit. Didn't John Owen write a book about that? He sure did, one of the great Puritan writers. Yeah. yeah. But, um, do you mortify? This was a question he asked. Do you mortify? And listen to this great quote by John Owen. Either be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Ooh, yeah, I like that. That's awesome. All right, let me take a break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can learn more about him at alexmcfarland.com. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them over via the text line. It is open and ready for you, 877-933-2484. Otherwise, we'll be right back with Alex. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. Welcome to the show. So glad to have my friend, Dr. Alex McFarlane, as my guest. We are asking him some tough questions, and he's coming up with great answers. You know, Alex, uh, Christians from time to time, they experience the feeling that God has kind of moved away from them. just feels like he has. He hasn't, though, has he? No. He, he, Hebrews 13 says, He will never leave us or forsake us. And uh, John ten twenty eight, Christ says that nothing can pluck us out of his hand. So if we feel that God is distant, uh, he's really not. And and if we lean into him and pull close to him, he really is there for us. And uh, 
Bill, I know I, I quote a lot of Bible. You know? I like that. Uh, well, yeah, because, I mean, we really have to derive our view of God and the promises of God and our uh, our own identity from Scripture, which that's our one trustworthy compass for navigating this thing called life. Emotions aren't, and you know, in fact, if if we rely on our emotions to to guide us, I mean, that's that's a good way to wind up depressed. You know, mm-hmm. Let me give an illustration, Bill. And by the way, these are great questions. These are wonderful questions. I I really appreciate your listeners. Um, Frequently when I am on your show, Bill, and on the wonderful Faith Radio Network, you know, I'll get some emails from listeners, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, Pilots have a thing they call instrument certification. Mm -hmm. And um, I know you and I are music fans. Uh, There was one of the most tragic plane crashes of the 20th century was in 1959 when Buddy Holly and his friends went down. Uh, Buddy Holly, uh, Richie Valens. Well, the pilot was a guy named um, Roger Peterson. And he was not instrument certified, they say, the FAA said. And he was looking at the horizon. And this is probably the very same way that the plane crash killed uh, John F. Kennedy Jr., I think it was in 1993, and I've I've read because I've taken flying lessons um, that a pilot has to vigilantly trust his instruments, not the horizon, because it is possible in a small plane to think you're you're going up, you're ascending when you're actually descending. Wow! And what Buddy Holly's plane was, they were in a slow descent. And the pilot that was trusting his vision rather than the instruments um, didn't realize that they were actually heading downward into the trees, and they crashed. Very sad. That's that's how it is with the Bible. And we, we have our emotions. We think, well, you know, I just I feel like God doesn't love me anymore, or I feel like if I do this thing, it's going to be okay. Just like a pilot needs to trust his altimeter. I mean, we've got to trust the Word of God, not only about life, temptation, morality, but derive our our comfort and our reassurance from the promises of God's Word, which are forever, not the emotions which change momentarily even, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that, Alex. Thank you for that. Um, Here's another question. I've heard this before. If I become a Christian, uh, am I going to get to this place where I have to give up all the stuff that I enjoy doing, and then I'm going to have to spend time um, bugging people about what they believe? Yes. We're, we are called to be obnoxious and good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. Um Do you know what? Uh, do you remember this song in contemporary Christian music back in the late 80s? Please don't send me to Africa. I do. God, Mm -hmm. I'll do anything. Just please don't send me to Africa. The Lord does not invite you to be miserable. In in fact, honestly, the greatest joy in the world is to know the Lord Jesus. But, um, Bill, I want to use a phrase by the late, great Francis Schaeffer. Do you remember that name? Oh, yeah, of course. 
big biblical worldview guy, um, and he he used the term Christian hedonist. Okay. Now, the word hedonism generally means you know something bad, like you're living to great excess and the flesh. Um, hedonism generally speaks of living a very selfish, indulgent, you know, wine, women, and song. That's a hedonistic culture. But what Francis Schaeffer meant about being a Christian hedonist is, and, and I, I really think we do need to reclaim this word, being a believer doesn't mean that you have to live this bland, boring, you know, life. I really think Christians, more than anybody, are the people that can actually, you know, zealously love life and have joy and experience, you know, everything, all the beauty this world has to offer. And, you know, I I do think that sometimes we give a verbal witness and we talk about Jesus and, you know, we lay the cards on the table. We talk about the Lord. But I, I really think that, um, let me just say this, if you're going to build a church, build the most beautiful church you can build. Let your architecture reflect the greatness of your God. If you're going to enjoy music, enjoy the best there is for, for God's glory. I, now, I'm going to go out on a limb, and I might, I might get banned from the radio. That's okay. R.C. Sproul... He was a great theologian. He's in heaven now. But R.C. Sproul said, all truth is God's truth. All beauty is God's beauty. I think that excellence, wherever you find it, gives honor and glory to God. I think, here's where I'm going to get on dangerous ground. I think some of the Beatles music gave glory to God, whether they knew it or not. I think some of Brian Wilson's music, absolutely, with, you know, 9, 10, 11-part harmonies, glory to God. I think Norman and his realistic painting gave glory to God, whether he realized it or not. I think, you know, anything done with absolute excellence bears witness to God's glory, whether the Creator the author, the architect, the builder, the seamstress, the the gourmand, the chef, whether they know it or not, they're giving glory to God. And I think what we need to tell the world is, look, when you come to Jesus, that's when you can actually begin to experience the richness that life can offer. And so, um, no, you don't have to bug people about the gospel, but you can stimulate them to think. And you certainly don't have to sequester yourself up in a cell. But I think um, when Jesus is your Lord, that's when life with all of its joys really gets unleashed, Bill. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Alex, if you know what author said this, but I just read this in the last week and I can't think of who said it. But basically, uh, the author was saying that God would look out over all of creation and basically look at everything and say, mine (laughs) <laughs> Abraham Kuyper. Yep, that's it. Yep, yep. Abraham Kuyper. Yep, that was it. I thought that's a profound statement. It really is. It really is. Even the atheist belongs to God, whether he knows it or not. Yeah. 
And Ro- Rosie's shaking her head right now going, how did he know that? I go, well, it's Alex McFarlane. That's how he knows it. <laughs> well, you know, um, I had the privilege uh, 20 years ago of working on a project uh, called The Truth Project with um, just one of the greatest guys in the world, Dr. Dell Tackett. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, some of your listeners, no doubt, will know that name, and he's wonderful. He and I did an event back in, like, February. Dell Tackett was just brilliant godly and and still going strong but um we worked on this thing with focus on the family called the truth project and it was really kind of a biblical worldview tutorial but i learned that quote from him and he would always say you know god god looks out over all of creation the solar system the universe planet earth in fact each one of us and everywhere every molecule of creation god can legitimately say mine yeah and Paul would say in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, um, we're not our own. We're bought with a price. So I think the challenge for each one of us is to live in light of our true identity. And he, here's the irony, and, and I'll be very brief, but look, if you try to cut yourself loose from God, you're going to be in bondage. But if you acknowledge God the Creator and Jesus the Savior, that's when true freedom begins. Amen. Amen, my friend. Thank you so much for being in Texas and still being on the show today. Hey, man, uh, keep us in prayer. I will indeed. And I got, got a lot of ministry opportunities between now and Friday, so thanks for your time, Bill. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. You can go learn more about him at alexmcfarland.com. That's alexmcfarland.com. After a short break, we'll continue our series who is this Jesus with Jeff Verdorn? Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.